Hi, I'm Richard Niles taking you on a sentimental journey with Doris Day. It's a great feeling. Doris had a style of her own. When you listen to a disc jockey play somebody singing, you say, oh, that's Doris Day. It's a great feeling. I love singing, too, but I didn't think of myself as ever being a singer, which is strange. Yes, I'm Richard Niles, and... I may have a voice like a parrot with laryngitis, but tonight we'll be hearing the voice of an angel, Miss Doris Day. Day by day. Every week I'll be taking you inside one of her best-known songs. Day by Day was the song that in many ways made her because it was a song that Barney Rapp got her to sing at every single performance. To tell the story of a little wannabe dancer from Cincinnati, Ohio, who not only became one of the most well-loved acting and singing legends of the 20th century, but whose wisdom and compassion has led her to become one of the world's most inspiring animal rights activists. Dream a little dream of me. Born April 3, 1924, so she says, her mother named her after silent screen star Doris Kenyon. Her dancing ambitions were cut short by a car accident, and we can all be thankful to her mother for giving her singing lessons, which she could ill afford, while Doris was recovering. I'm longing to linger till dawn, Doris Day had the talent and the intellect to become a superb artist. Her talent and training gave her flawless technique and unerring musicality. Her intellect allowed her to deliver a lyric as if we were eavesdropping on her private thoughts. This freckle-faced blonde had the brains to play innocent and sensual, sex kitten and tomboy. She could be a petulant pussycat or a countrified cowgirl, the girl next door or the girl in the closet. And through it all, Doris Day was as cute as a button. My vocal coach in Cincinnati, a wonderful lady named Grace Rain, who couldn't sing a note, by the way, she used to say to me, now remember, the most important thing about this song is the lyric. But in your dreams, whatever they be. Her teacher got her on the radio, which got the attention of band leader Barney Rapp. Except before Doris met Barney Rapp, she wasn't actually Doris Day. When he, you know, asked me my name, <laughs> I said it was Doris Kappelhoff. And he said... Well, it's a very nice name. <laughs> that is a very nice name. <laughs> but it's a little bit too long for the marquee. And then he thought of just shortening her name to Doris Cap. Author of Doris Day, the illustrated biography, Michael Friedland. Now, that presented all sorts of problems. He could never have recorded a Doris Cap because Jack Cap was the name of the head of Decca Records. So she couldn't have recorded ever on Decca with that name, and certainly none of the other uh, labels would want her either of that. So he thought after her song, Day After Day, let's call her Doris Day. I didn't like it. I said it sounds phony. You know, who would be named Doris Day? <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> and he said, you. 
And she became Doris Day, and I think uh, regretted it from that second on. Singer Karen Oberlin. To this day, I'm sure she she wishes she kept Kappelhoff or chose some other name. And so everyone has called her something else ever since then. Uh, they had a lot of nicknames for her. Uh, Susie Cream Cheese, uh, some better known, some lesser known. But I think every actor who worked with her or every friend she had had their own personal special name for her so that they didn't have to call her the name she didn't like, Doris Day. And of course, with that name, she became the number one singer in Cincinnati. But as she once wisely said, it's a little depressing to become number one because the only place you can go from there is down. Each night in some cafe, I'm on display until the dark turns into dawn. Up upon the stand, singing with the band, while music plays on each night is just alone an endless song until the last couple has gone vainly i must start singing out my heart while the music plays on rap recommended her to bob crosby's band and her big break came when band leader les brown heard her with crosby Here's Les Brown Jr. My dad was looking for a vocalist, and I think this was 1942, and he had heard about this girl who was singing with Bob Crosby's band. So he went down to uh, one of the theaters, I don't know, the Paramount or something, where the Crosby band was working, and Doris was the singer. And I mean, she was just a baby. She was maybe 16, 17 years old. And he said, man, this is the girl, you know, I mean, she's got the look, she's the girl next door, and she sings great. So he went backstage afterwards, and he said, are you happy with the Crosby band? She says, no, there's one of these guys who won't leave me alone, and they won't do anything, and it's driving me crazy. He said, would you like to join my band? She said, sure. He says, that'll never happen in my band. I Believe me, you know, I, I choose my guys for a lot of reasons, and one of them is that they're all gentlemen and they're all compatible. And that was it and a lifelong association was born. As I serenade my lover Dancing by in someone else's arms But I am not allowed To show the crowd what happens when Romance has gone I must hide my fears Singing through the Well, after two years with the band at $75 a week, she was on the road to becoming America's sweetheart. But she chose to marry against Les Brown's wishes, Al Jordan, a guy who was not exactly the boy next door. Violent and psychopathic, she described one horrific incident in her autobiography, Doris Day, Her Own Story. Another time, we were again driving in the car when Al had one of his rages. We were in New England somewhere, perhaps on our way to Boston. In the midst of ranting at me, Al reached over and opened the glove compartment and took out the pistol he always carried there. He flipped off the safety and thrust the barrel of the gun against my stomach. Even now I can feel the cold nozzle of that gun as it dug into my stomach. You and your baby, I'm going to shoot both of you, he shouted. We rode like that for miles. I was literally frozen with fear in the truest sense of the word. 
Every bump and tremor in the road, I expected the gun to discharge. My voice was froze. I couldn't speak. I couldn't move. Finally, in disgust, Al pulled the gun away and tossed it back in the glove compartment. He stopped talking. By the time we got to our destination, he was pleasant and attentive, and it was as though nothing had happened. Years later, I learned that while driving in his car one day, Al pulled that gun out of the glove compartment, put the barrel against his head, and committed suicide. Jordan was the first of four husbands, and as her friend Kay Ballard says, her taste in men was questionable. She had very bad taste in men, <laughs> just as I have. <laughs> Doris left Al Jordan as soon as her son Terry was born, and she was characteristically philosophical about it. My marriage to him was just short-lived, thank goodness. But the, out of it came, you know, my son, my wonderful son. And um, I don't know what I would do without Terry. So it was good that, you know, we parted. And, and um, I went back to Cincinnati and went back to work. And uh, I've had a wonderful life. So I, that, was a, that was just a, a period in time for me to have my son. When Les Brown heard the marriage was over, he immediately asked Doris to come back and sing in the band. When he heard that I was singing again, and he called, and he called my mother, and he said, Oh, she has to come back with the band, you know. She said, Well, how can I do that? I have a baby. He says, I'll tell you what, you bring your mother along. And I did. So everything was really good. It was just sort of like a, it was all like a jigsaw puzzle coming into place. And if you need a nanny, I'll provide a nanny, the whole thing. Did you think that we were strangers a couple of nights ago? And though it's a dream, I never dreamed he'd ever say hello. As soon as Doris came on board and they started making records, things changed drastically. It was such a great combination. You know, I think so much of it, uh, people feel that coming off of people on the stage, too, and off records. You know, they feel the compatibility and uh, their ability to work together, and the two of them really liked each other. You know, it was never a romantic involvement at all, but they genuinely really liked each other. And until the day my dad died, they spoke all the time. You know, they were on the phone with each other, and I speak to Doris on occasion now, you know, just catch up and see how she is. So that changed the direction, and then came dreams are getting better all the time. My dreams are getting better all the time. Then came Day by Day, then came Sentimental Journey, and that just broke it wide open. With Brown as a protective father figure, she got right back on the road, and as a ranger with the band Frank Comstock tells us, she was just one of the guys. Everybody liked her. She was a neat kid, you know what I mean? She, uh, I've tried to stress this so many times. She wasn't the, the snooty star singer or anything like that. She'd come in. I can remember my arm would be so black and blue, she'd walk down the aisle of a bus or a train and hit me with her knuckle like and said, where are we eating tonight, kid, or something like that, you know, which is normal, nice neighborhood girl, you know. And she was always that way, and uh, still is for that matter. She didn't bring any airs with her, you know, the snooty style. Doris 
as charming as she could be for the most part. Band member Ted Nash has mixed feelings. Had a side of her that if things didn't quote, go quite right, she took over the command of the situation and could be very stubborn about what she wanted and didn't want. And uh, you sort of had to treat her with kid gloves when she was in this frame of mind. Liz Brown classed Doris with Crosby and Sinatra, saying, None of them can read a note of music, but they have great memories and sure know how to sell a lyric. But at their first recording session together, Liz heard something that had to go. Les Brown made me aware of it. My vocal coach didn't, but when I started singing with Les Brown, he said, Doris, you don't say I. I said, what? He said, no, you say ah. And I said, uh, I'll work on that. I hated it. I said, I'm not, I'm not from the South. Why would I say ah? <laughs> but I did. Anyway, I worked on that, and um, I don't say that anymore. So much for Doris Day's accent, but at first, the musical accent was on the band, not the canary in the pretty dress. The guys would chant, dig it on the vocal chorus, and she'd get a few lines. But this soon changed, especially when she was given the song Day by Day. Here's Doris's great friend and arranger, Frank Comstock. Here's your tune. Dee dee dee, dee 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 dee, you know, with the melody. That particular song, Paul Weston and my dad were very close friends, and Paul Weston was uh, an arranger with the uh, Tommy Dorsey band. And Paul wrote Day by Day, brought it to my dad, and dad said, yeah, good song, let's do it. The genesis was simply, I think I got called by Les one morning, or one evening, he says, I need an arrangement of this tune, do it, you know. <laughs> so I was hired to write arrangements, so that's what I did. And um, I wrote an arrangement that I thought would be nice for here. Uh, and Les was at this time struggling to find a style, I guess. And I think I came across something for the ballads that Doris sang in particular. Was just a, I used a big, fat sound, but I also used some instruments, unison clarinets in a few spots and a few other things that gave it, a, in a sense, a sort of a classical sound. It wasn't like we were just playing swing, go, go swing, you know. And um, this tune has got a, a few of those little sounds in it, like I realize now. I haven't heard this since, uh, <laughs> since we recorded it. <laughs> but anyway... That was uh, nice to hear that again. Day by Day was the song that in many ways made her. Author of Doris Day, the illustrated biography, Michael Friedland. Because it was a song that Barney Rapp got her to sing at every single performance. It was a song that she managed to, when she had an occasional broadcast on the local radio station in Cincinnati, it was the song that she sang. It was a song that Les Brown heard her sing and said, I want you to sing again. It was the song that Bob Crosby for whom she worked before she worked with Les Brown, wanted her to sing. And it was a song that people expected her to sing. It's interesting to hear that Doris Day, who might appear to be the most white bread of singers, was influenced by black artists. Day by day I'm falling more in love with you. Day by day I want you to know There isn't any end to my devotion It's deeper, dear, by far than any ocean I find that I want you to know I love you so I am 
know who influenced me. I'm, uh, Ella, maybe, a little bit. Not so much the phrasing or the way she said, but this, the tone. I loved her tone. But my tone wasn't really like Ella's. I just loved the sound of her voice. And um, I was fascinated with Billie Holiday and uh, her interpretations. Uh, reading of a lyric I thought was incredible. I like so many singers. I think it influences absolutely every singer and every musician there are, you know. I mean, Louis Armstrong started it all for everybody. Absolutely, there's no doubt. He started jazz as we know it. He took it out of the uh, funeral, you know, the New Orleans funeral processions and brought it to the public in a different form. And his ability to sing the way he sang and phrase and uh, what he did musically with songs influenced Ella and that influenced Doris and influenced Frank and it influenced everybody. I think that you have to be your own person, you know, and do your own thing. Doris had a style of her own brother of Les Brown and band member Stumpy Brown. One of the most, the greatest things of success is to be recognized by your audience. You know, when you listen to a disc jockey play somebody singing, you say, oh, that's Darth Day. But if they say, who's that? Then you're not going to be a success, you know. Sooner or later you're going to be coming around I'll bet you singers who need to be able to throw their arms out and wait for the sweat to pour down their faces. She's calming, sexy in, in a very unconventional way. Um, 1950s, 1960s, that is Doris Day with a lovely voice, a lovely soft voice, a voice you can listen to on your radio, you can listen to in your car, you can listen to at home, you can listen to almost from a loudspeaker in a park. It's that sort of voice and virginal. That is the image. But of course there was Oscar Levant who said, uh, I knew Doris Day before she was a virgin. Actually, it was Groucho Marx, and what he said was, I'm so old, I knew Doris Day before she was a virgin. As Doris said in her autobiography, the virgin image shouldn't have been the result of the roles she played. And what are some of the sweet virginal roles I have played on the silver screen? I was slugged and raped by Jimmy Cagney, battled the Ku Klux Klan with Ginger Rogers and Ronald Reagan, was terrorized by Hitchcock kidnappers, stalked by a murderous Rex Harrison, was the long-suffering wife of alcoholic baseball pitcher Ronald Reagan, and became so hysterical with fear of Louis Jordan that the movie had to be shut down while I recovered. I hadn't anyone to As Les Brown Jr. explains, Doris's unique talents as a singer were creating a new Day Brown kind of sound, and the audience on the dance floor began to stand still and listen. The band 
wasn't happy unless people were out there dancing. And they'd see that, and that had pumped the band up. Now, Doris had the ability with her voice to bring the whole audience right into what the band was doing. And that's what translated later to her records. When you hear a Doris Day record, you could be in a room full of people talking, and the minute she'd start to come on and sing, your attention would go to that record. And that's an innate ability. You don't train people that way, but it's just she understood the technique of drawing them into it and not taking it out to them. And, you know, the Ethel Merman is the other side of that. Hooray for Holly! You know, it wasn't that kind of thing. Fellow Cincinnati buddy Andy Williams. She's a terrific singer. I mean, she's always been a terrific singer. For some reason, she would come over and we'd all sing together and have a great time and, with my brothers and me. And, but uh, my folks, of course, loved her, and I had a little crush on her, I think, although I was only probably 14. I had to save my love for you. She has such warmth in her voice, both speaking and singing. Award-winning New York singer and creator of the off-Broadway show Secret Love, a tribute to the real Doris Day, Karen Oberlin. I know she sang at the comfortable bottom of her voice, where she would find that, that sort of satiny uh, warmth, that, that warm, warm, luscious sound of her voice. Most of it would be instinct, I would think. But my vocal coach in Cincinnati, a wonderful lady named Grace Rain, who couldn't sing a note, by the way, she used to say to me, now remember, the most important thing about this song is the lyric. It's what you're singing to people. And you must sing to one person. Sing like you're singing to one person. But everyone out there will think he or she is the one. And that's the difference. When, when you go out to perform that way, you can't perform to 4,000 people or 2,000 people or 17. Right? You can only perform for one person, especially when you're doing the kind of material that she did. If I can help somebody. The other thing I think that had a great deal to do with it is that Doris suffered from terrible stage fright to the point where, you know, it was almost you had to drag her out there to sing a song. Once she got out there, you would never know that. But where do you go when that happens? When you're driven by that kind of fear, you go back inside and you draw on something inside of you to give you the strength to do it. He is traveling wrong. Doris's great friend, Kay Ballard. You feel totally secure when she's singing. You don't feel like she's, oh, she's not going to make that note, or she's very nervous. She's totally relaxed when she sings. Then my living shall not be in vain then my living shall not be in vain if I can help somebody as I pass along then my living shall not be in vain. 
It's time for magical thanks to my producer, Fiona Kroll, and our contributors, Karen Oberlin, Les Brown Jr., Stumpy Brown, Frank Comstock, Andy Williams, and Doris Day herself. I'm still Richard Niles, and my secret is that I'd love you to join me next week for the second part of our sentimental journey with Miss Doris Day. It's so creative, inspiring, radio.